tonight, I want to talk to you a little bit about walking with God. What does it mean to walk with God? You see, because life is a journey. We're all walking through life. When you stop walking through life, you quit breathing, pretty much, right? There's always a journey. You're always moving somewhere. Things are happening. Life is changing. You're working through stuff. And so, in one way or another, you're, you're walking, you're moving. But I found that in my life, things do not always go like I thought they were going to go. Have you guys found that to be true? That sometimes you think, okay, here's my pathway. This is where we're headed. This is how it's going to go. It's going to be great. Let me give you an example. My family uh, has a cabin in Montana. My great-grandparents bought it. It's like, it's a legit cabin, okay? This is like chop down a tree, stack the logs, log cabin in the Rocky Mountains, right on this beautiful alpine lake called East Rosebud Lake. And I've been going up there since I was a little tiny kid. Love it. It's one of the most beautiful places on the planet. And uh, so we go up there and, and there's this amazing hiking trail that goes up and there's all these lakes along this alpine trail and it's through the mountains, it's way up high, and it's really rugged, really spectacular, and these, these lakes are just beautiful. So my wife and I are up there, and we're visiting at, at this cabin and enjoying our time together. Our whole family's there, and we think, all right, we're going to go up to like the fourth lake. Now, the fourth lake is about a nine-mile hike from our cabin. And uh, now I need to remind you that this cabin is way out in the middle of nowhere. So it's like a two-hour drive down a dirt road to get to the cabin, and then we're going to hike nine miles up into the, further into the wilderness. There are no roads. There's no way into this place other than to walk back out. So we're thinking it's a beautiful day. It's very wonderful. The mountains are amazing. We're going to go up to these lakes. It's going to be great. So we get up there, and we get all the way up to the fourth lake, and man, it's beautiful, and we had just a wonderful day, and we turn back around, and we get probably not even a mile headed back, and my wife trips on a root and sprains her ankle. And I'm like, oh, no. We are way out here. Another eight miles on a sprained ankle is not going to go well. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, what are we going to do? And and she's like not sure if she can walk on it, and, and we're trying to figure out, and I'm like, this is not the day I had planned. This is not going well. And it's starting to get later, and, and I start to see some clouds start to roll over the hilltops. And if you've ever been in the Rocky Mountains, you know that the weather can change just like that. And we've seen snow in July, August. I mean, you just never know. You're way up high, way up in the mountains, and it's beautiful, but it can also be very dangerous. And so here we are, we're like, what are we going to do? And she's like, I don't know. And so I kind of like help her and she's leaning on my shoulder and we're limping along. And I'm like, there literally is no option other than to walk out of here. So I'm at that moment where I'm like, okay, what do I do? This is my decision right now. Do I make a run for it and try and just get back as fast as I can, run eight miles, get help, come all the way back another, I mean, that's 16 miles of travel there. By the time I get back, I'm like, it's going to be the middle of the night. There's just, that's not, I don't, that's not going to work. I don't know. The weather's coming in. It's getting dark. What are we going to do? And so we kind of talk about it, and she's like, I'm just going to go for it. Let's just, let's just grin it and bear it. And we limped our way eight miles back. And we got back, and it was, it was just dark as we were getting back to the cabin. And my parents were super worried about us because they were like, they should have been back like a long time ago. And so we get back and my wife just total, total trooper. She sticks it out and we get back and we get back to the cabin. And sure enough, after we stopped, like she couldn't walk on it the next day. Her ankle was, 
huge, it was all black and blue. And um, the next week we went out and bought our new hiking boots with good ankle support. And, and so sometimes life takes a direction just like that. We had this beautiful day planned. We had all these things that were going to go great. And we think, oh, this is going to be great. Let's go this direction. And then something happens. And it changes everything. And so the question is, is as you walk through life, how do you walk? Are you walking well? Are you walking with God? Are you walking on your own? And as Christians, we should be ones that are walking with God. And there's something that's very important about walking with God. You see, walking with God is relational. Matt's been talking a lot in Genesis about being image bearers of God and and having a relationship with God. Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. They had relationship with him. But what I see in the church a lot of times is that we believe that walking with God means serving God. And I want to make a distinction here tonight because serving God does not always mean walking with God. You see, we can serve in a lot of ways, without ever talking to him, without ever spending time with him, without ever really walking with him. You see, there's a million good things that we could do. We could, we could serve in, in many, many different ways. And, and we see in Genesis chapter five, this guy that, that is talked about, his name is Enoch. It says, Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. This is the first mention of somebody that walked with God. We don't see a bunch of things that Enoch did that were spectacular. It doesn't say, oh, Enoch slayed a giant like David did. We don't see, oh, Enoch did these amazing things. It just says that he walked with God. That's interesting to me. This man walked with God and he was not. One of the only people we see that, that did not die in the Bible. It's amazing. And so, when we walk with God, what does that look like? Does that, does that look like serving him? Or is there something maybe a little bit different than what we originally had thought? Oh, serving God is great and it's good, but we can serve in a lot of different ways. There's a million causes out there, right? I mean, you just have to go on Facebook to see them. I just came across one today. Um, it's called the Critter Connection. Uh, why do big creatures have to get all the attention? Whales, dolphins, giraffes, polar bears? Operating under the banner, Great Love Comes in Small Packages, the Critter Connection rescues and rehabilitates abandoned or neglected guinea pigs. According to its website, the Connecticut-based charity started in 2004 has sheltered more than 700 guinea pigs abandoned due to owner surrender, unexpected pregnancy, or government-sanctioned seizure. So if you would like to rescue a guinea pig, uh, the Critter Connection can help you do that. So we have all these causes, these things that we do, and we think, oh, this is, this is great. Look at all the great work I'm doing. But my question is, is who are you walking with? You see, sometimes walking can be easy. Sometimes life is easy. And my wife and I, we like to go for walks, and we talk, and we spend time together. We get through a lot of things as we walk together. Just walking, we live out in Applegate Valley out there, just out in the mountains, and it's beautiful. And we have days where we'll just spend an hour walking together and talking together, and, and our relationship grows because we're, we're moving together. A couple summers ago, I took my son to Mount McLaughlin. That was not an easy walk. I climbed Mount McLaughlin when I was in fifth grade, and so he, when he went into fifth grade, I was like, I did it, he can do it. All right, let's try this out. What I failed to remember is that I'm not in fifth grade anymore, nor am I a teenager. And I've climbed it a few times, but it, I was probably in my early 20s the last time I climbed it, and uh, it was a lot harder than I remembered it. That walk was very difficult, but it was an amazing time. My son and I spent all day together, and we walked together, and we talked together, and we grew together. 
What does it mean to walk with God? I believe that there are a few key points that I'd like to point out tonight. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to start in verse 5. Verse 5 talks about this man, Enoch, that we just mentioned, that a man who walked with God. Hebrews chapter, chapter 11, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So Enoch walked with God and he pleased God. But then we read that without faith, you cannot please God. So the first point tonight is in order to walk with God, you must first have faith. For if you do not know who God even is, if you do not have faith in God, it is impossible to please him. It is impossible to have a relationship, to walk with him. And so first you must establish that you have faith in God. What does it mean to put faith in things? We do it all the time. You guys have great faith in the chair you're sitting in right now. Complete and total faith that it's going to hold you up. I'll never forget, um, I, uh, my wife and I went to, uh, to Diamond Lake Resort in the wintertime because we were going snowcat skiing at Mount Bailey. This was on my bucket list for a long time, and I thought, Let's go, to, let's go to Mount Bailey. It'll be awesome. So we get up there. We're skiing. We have an amazing day. Fresh powder all day long. It was incredible. And we get done with the day, and we get back to the lodge, and we're getting ready to head out, and it's dark now, and, and I get in my four-wheel drive SUV, and, and we're all rallied up, ready to go, and turn on my GPS. And I made the mistake of putting faith in my GPS, you see, I believed it would get me to where I wanted to go. And so, so I began to pull out of Diamond Lake there and, and it says, you know, turn left. And I was like, all right, and turn left. And I go left and I, I start to go up this road and we get cruising up and the traction control starts kicking in and it's kind of, you know, the wheels are slipping a little bit. I'm like, that's weird. I think something's wrong with my four wheel drive. Like the snow's not that deep. We shouldn't have, you know, any problems. And I look at the GPS and it shows we're right on track and everything looks good. And we kind of keep cruising along and it, you know, it's kind of slipping and sliding a little bit. I thought, man, this is weird. Like, the snow shouldn't be this deep. We haven't had that much snow recently. And uh, we get about a mile up this road, and all of a sudden, just <laughs> buried up to the axle in snow, totally stuck. And I thought, oh no. I get out and I look at it, and we are really, really stuck. So I get my chains out, and I, try, I can't even get the chains on the tires. There's no way. I'm trying to dig it out. We're totally stuck. So my wife, again, goes back for help. She goes back to, to get the guys, and I'm out there in the snow digging, and, and she goes back to the lodge, and she goes to, back to the Diamond Lake Lodge there, and there's a bunch of the guys that were skiing with us and guiding and all that kind of stuff. They're like, oh, yeah, we'll come help you. Where's, where's your car at? She's like, oh, up that road right there. And they go, that's not a road. That's a snowmobile trail. Like, we can't drive up there. So they bring about five snowmobiles and snow shovels, and they come up, and they dig us out. We got guys pushing. We got snowmobiles pulling. We finally got out of there. But all of it, realizing that we were a couple hundred yards from the road, 
but I had put my trust in that GPS that it was leading me the right way. I had faith that it was going to put me on the right path. And I found myself on a snowmobile trail, buried up to the axles in snow. You see, we put our faith and our trust in different things. So when we put our faith in God, when we put our trust in God, that means that there is a security, a foundation that we say, God, you are in control, that I trust in you, that I believe that you are who you claim to be. And ultimately, as Christians, we say, God, I believe that you are my salvation. That is the foundation of faith. That is the foundation and the beginning of walking with God. So the first thing, if we were to walk with God, is we must have faith in him. The second thing, however, is that we must also seek him. I'm going to flip over to Acts chapter 17. And you can go and flip there with me if you want. In Acts chapter 17, we see here Paul is addressing the people in Athens. Now, Athens, Greece at this time was a very educated kind of University of Greece, so to speak, area. Um, They were thinkers. They liked to debate and talk and and all of this stuff's going on. And and, uh, they were also, however, polytheistic. They were idolaters. They were very, very into idolatry. But they were also very devout in their religiosity and in their thinking. They valued new input and new insight and thinking. And so Paul addresses this audience here in Athens. In chapter 17, we're going to start in verse 24. Paul says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made every nation of men and they should inhibit the whole, inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us. For in him, we live and move and have our being. As some of your poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. You see, in this passage here, Paul is basically saying, God, there is one God, the God who created the heavens and the earth, and he doesn't operate in the fleshly things that we see, gold and silver. He doesn't need anything from you. God doesn't need anything. But God did all of this. He created everything and and he, he made everything, as verse 27 says, so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. You see, Paul is saying the whole purpose of all of this is that we seek God that we seek relationship with. God doesn't need anything from you. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your service. It's not like God says, oh, thank goodness, I was a little short of my rent this month. He doesn't need that from you. Oh, yeah, he asks that from us, but not for him. It's for us. And so what Paul is saying is that God is not like all of the other gods that you serve. You people that are serving these idols and these other gods, this polytheistic uh, religion, so to speak, in all of these other cases, these gods needed things. 
They had to sacrifice things to these gods so that they would be blessed, so that they could have relationship with these gods. And you see, what's so unique about the true and almighty God is that he does not need sacrifice. He does not need you, but he wants to walk with you. He wants you to seek him. And what we see throughout the scriptures is not God just saying, do this and don't do that and serve me and and I need this, 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 and this. Throughout the scriptures, and this is what is so fascinating as we've been in Genesis and what Matt has been talking about so much is this is all, if you look at it through this lens, it's all about relationship with God. It's not about just simply serving. It's about walking together. And in order to walk with him, though, we have to seek him. We have to seek him out. We have to pursue him. We have to want to know more. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about. He says, all these guys are seeking all these other things. They're seeking all these other gods, and they're trying to serve all these other gods. He said, ultimately, God is amazing, and he's powerful. And he created mankind all from one bloodline. And he did all of this, that man might seek him. It's funny, we can be obsessed with seeking things sometimes. Whatever catches our fascination or or whatever we're into. I came across a story just recently that uh, caught my attention and it was, I'd never heard of this, but it was was super fascinating to me. Um, There's this thing called uh, Finn's Treasure. Have you guys heard of this? Anybody? So, A multimillionaire, New Mexico guy, he's an art dealer and an author, Forrest Finn. He's been making news headlines and causing controversy after hiding a treasure treasure chest somewhere in the Rocky Mountains. In the 1980s, a bout with cancer inspired Finn to create a chest full of treasures that anyone could go find. His plan was to hide it in the desert before he died as a way to keep his memory alive. Only Finn didn't die from his cancer. So when he turned 80 in 2010... Finn decided to hide the chest again, this time somewhere in the mountains north of Santa Fe, New Mexico, somewhere north of there, so it could be in Wyoming, Montana, anywhere. The treasure chest is said to contain ancient artifacts, gold nuggets, precious jewels, estimated to be worth $3 million. Clues to the chest's whereabout are hidden in the text of a memoir and a poem he published the same year. Since then, thousands of people have searched to no avail, but Finn insists that the treasure is still out there, somewhere in the Rocky Mountains. In 2016, the Finn treasure uh, became the center of controversy again after a treasure hunter went missing. He later was, his body was later found about six months later along the banks of a river. And uh, so people you know, all came out of the woodworks and said, we should just, he should just tell us where it's at. And he was like, no, we're not doing that. And so today, there are literally thousands of people that are still roaming the Rocky Mountains to this day, looking at this poem that he wrote. There's nine clues in this poem that uh, supposedly lead to where this treasure is. And these people are obsessed with finding this multi-million dollar treasure that's hidden somewhere in the Rocky Mountains. And they are earnestly, earnestly seeking for clues, for anything they can find that will lead them to this treasure. When I look at that, I think, how hard have I pursued Jesus? These people have spent great money, great time, great effort to simply find another clue of where this treasure might be hidden. And yet here we have God himself available to us. And he says, I want you to pursue me. I want you to seek me. 
In fact, I'm going to give you a bunch of tools and a bunch of ways to do that, but it's all about you pursuing me, seeking me. I want you to have new insight. I want you to understand new things. And my tendency is instead of pursuing God is to be like, well, yeah, can I just do something nice for you? I'll like mop the floor or something because that makes sense to me. And then I, then I don't really have to care about what we're doing. I don't really have to spend time with you. I'm not a super touchy-feely relational guy. I don't like to sit and talk about my feelings over coffee. I know that comes as a shock to all of you guys. But the thing is, is that God wants relationship with us. And I personally would rather be in service to God than spend time with God. That's the way that I'm wired. I would rather work for him than spend time with him. And I've realized as I've grown as a Christian is that that's not what God asked me to do. God says, walk with me, seek me, spend time with me. The service comes as a result of the relationship. It's not the other way around. I tend to think that the service will develop relationship. But in reality, the service should be a result of seeking God. And so this suddenly begins to flip everything on its head for me because I think, wait a minute. If I seek first the kingdom, if I seek first God and who he is and his righteousness, then these other things fall into place. And so often I can get so busy in ministry and life in the doing this and doing that and doing these things that I miss the entire point. Jesus says, will you just walk with me? Will you just simply spend time with me? So first of all, we have to have faith in him. Secondly, we must seek him. Thirdly, we must follow him. We must follow him. I am really good at not following. I like to say, all right, Lord, I got it. I'll take it from here. Here we go. It is so easy to have calling, to have vision, to have direction, and just throttle down. Here we go. Moving forward. The Lord's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Let's do this together. Let's walk this together. In fact, I know better than you, so how about you follow me? I've got a year-and-a-half-year-old golden retriever, big puppy. And, uh, man, he loves to run ahead, <laughs> He loves to figure out where we're going and lead the way, but he doesn't know where we're going. If I were to follow my dog around the hills of Applegate, that probably wouldn't go very well. He's, he's got a lot of energy. He's really happy. He's a great little puppy, but he does not know what he's doing. And so I had to work with him for a long time on a leash. Like, hey, heel, follow me. Go where I go. Do what I do. We'll have a great time together but I know where we're going. You don't. And too often, we're like an eager puppy. We're like, oh, I got this. Here we go. All right. <laughs> Squirrel. <laughs> right? And you go, you don't know what you're doing, man. You don't know where you're going. Do we do this with the Lord? I got that. I'm over here. I'm over here. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. Or it's like, what are you doing? I'm over here. I'm going this way. We have to learn to follow him couple quick scriptures on this. You don't have to turn there, but John chapter 10, verse four. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. 
And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. God is a good shepherd, and he wants to lead you to where you're supposed to be. And if you walk with him, if you know him, if you spent time with him, you've been seeking him, you will know his voice, and you will learn to follow him. John uh, chapter eight, verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. None of us want to walk in darkness. Have you ever done a night hike? I started mountain biking at night this winter. This is the first time I've done this. It was fascinating. Everything is different at night. And I've got this headlight on the, on the front of my bike and and uh, it's, uh, it, it projects out. It's amazing. It's amazing how bright it is. But the thing is, you flip through the different settings on the, on the light. And uh, I would, I'd start with a low-powered setting uh, to save battery. And then, you know, we'd go downhill or something, you get the big bright setting. But when you flip it over to get from the low-powered back to the high-powered setting, it would have to turn off for a second. And so there was a few times that I was riding, and I was trying to flip through it, and I'm still moving, and it goes off. And I'm riding my bike, and it is pitch black. I'm out in, you know, mountain bike trails, single track dirt. It is very scary. I do not like moving in the dark, not being able to see where I'm going. And you hit the button again. It's like, okay, now we can see again. Jesus says, for those that follow him, they will not walk in darkness. They won't be moving forward, moving ahead in darkness for he is the light of the world. If we follow him, we'll have the light of life. Jesus says, follow me. Also in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That means that you have to do it his way, not yours. To follow, you cannot pick the path. If you are following someone, you do as they do. You go where they go. If we're playing follow the leader, you have to follow the leader. If the leader goes over there, you have to go over there or you're out, right? Preschool game, right? Follow the leader. Do what the leader does. Jesus says, follow me. Do as I do. And I will lead you to the proper path. I will lead you to where you need to go. So we must have faith in him. We must seek him. We must follow him. And fourthly, and finally, we must learn to rest in him. If we are walking with God, we must learn to rest in him. If we're following somebody and we're totally panicked and we're freaked out, we're not resting. It's the backseat driver syndrome. My kids aren't driving yet, thankfully. But I remember when I first got my learner's permit, I don't think I've ever seen my parents so stressed. Right? Because suddenly they are not in control and there is somebody else in control that I don't know if I trust them being in control. This, this may go bad. This may go well. I don't know. It was not very restful, I guarantee, for them. When you relinquish control of your life, it is very, very difficult to rest in that. I like to be in control because then I know it's up to me. Anything I do, that's where we're going. And I'm okay with that. But to relinquish control and say, I'm going to follow God, 
I'm gonna allow him to be in control. My tendency is to keep trying to take it back. No, I can't rest in that. No, that stresses me out. Lord, I don't know about this. I don't think we should be going this way. No, I don't like the looks of this. This is looking scary. Nope, 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 not feeling that. But we are to rest in him. And what's amazing about this is this actually becomes very, very freeing. Because friends, life is not easy. Sometimes it is that Mount McLaughlin moment where you're three-fourths of the way up the mountain. You're going, what was I thinking? I am tired. I am hurting. This was not the walk that I signed up for. When I said I would walk with Jesus, I did not mean that I would be on this rocky cliff. I did not mean that I would be climbing this huge mountain because this is too hard. This is not what I signed up for. And Jesus says, will you rest in me? Will you just sit back and follow me and be at rest? Because he's trustworthy. Matthew 11, verse 28 says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, Psalm 37, verse four says, delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to him and he shall bring forth your righteousness like the noonday sun. And then in verse seven, it says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. You see, I share this tonight because I struggle with this. I constantly struggle with going before the Lord and saying, Lord, this is how we're gonna do it. It was your idea and I've got it from here. And I wanna take control, I wanna lead, I wanna charge, I wanna be moving, I want things to be working and progressing forward and sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. And I go, Lord, what's the deal, man? You, you called me to this, you directed me in this and, and I thought we were rolling, things were moving, things are gonna be great and now they're not great. And then I begin to question, I go, am I, am I walking with God? Did I blow it somewhere? Did I miss it somewhere? Because this is hard. Did I, did I, did I mess something up? Am I way over here and God's way over here? Because I thought we were moving together. I thought we were on the same page. And usually, usually at some point, the Lord says to me, chill out. Just walk with me. Just be with me. You're stressing about all the details. You're stressing about all the things you need to do, all the ways that you could fix it. I'm not a very good handyman. I wish I was. I've tried to fix a lot of things and I made a lot of things worse. Usually it ends up, you know, you do it two or three times and then you call the guy that you should have called the first time around, right? Story of my life. I learned that from my dad. <laughs> And so I tend to go out and I try and do things myself, fix things myself, do things in my own strength, my own energy. And the reality is I've been successful at it a lot in life. There's been a lot of things I've accomplished in my life that I've been able to do in my life in my own strength and in my own power. 
and I didn't do it with the Lord. I didn't walk with him. Oh, maybe I was doing it for the Lord. I said, Lord, this is for you. Look what I did. She's like, I don't care. Come hang out with me. I feel this way about my kids, right? If, if my kids come in and they go, I did this and this and this and this and this, and I go, yeah, but we don't ever hang out. That's not a good relationship, is it? Oh, they may, have, they may have served me in a bunch of ways. But if we've never spent time together, we don't have a relationship. Some marriages are like this. There's men that work and work and work and work, and they say, I've done this all for you, that you can have a nice house and a nice car. And the, the wife says, yeah, but I don't know you. I don't ever see you. You're never here. Yeah, but look at all I've done for you. Yeah, but we don't have a relationship. And too many of us go through life as Christians going, Lord, look at all I've done for you. I've done this and this and this and this and all for you. And the Lord's like, yeah, but you have not talked to me. You have not walked with me. Let's just go for a walk. I just want to spend time with you. And the reality is, is that I struggle with this daily. That I struggle with walking with God. I don't struggle with serving God. I struggle with spending time with him and walking with him and having a relationship with him. An intimate, powerful, wonderful relationship with a God that loved me so much that he gave his life upon a cross that I might be able to spend not just today with him, but the rest of eternity with him. And it's amazing. And once you are there and you realize, okay, I can walk with God, I can spend time with him, I can just move with him, you can understand what it means to be at rest. Rest seems like a simple word, but I actually looked it up in the Webster's Dictionary. And there was a couple of interesting definitions to the word rest. One of them is freedom from activity or labor, which is probably what you're thinking of rest. Okay, yeah, no, don't have to work, um, no labor. But another definition there, as you go through the different definitions listed in, in the dictionary, is peace of mind or, peace of mind or spirit. Do you want peace of mind? Do you want your spirit to be at peace? That is the definition of rest. A third definition is also can be something that's used for support, right? You're, it's a rest, something that you can lean on. To be at rest can mean to be motionless, but can also mean to be free of anxiety. I want to be at rest, don't you? We are so full of anxiety in this culture. We are so not at peace in our mind, in our souls, and in our spirits. We are busy. We are stressed. We are tired. And God says, I want you to rest. I want you to rest in me. I want you to walk with me. Be with me. What a joy, what a wonderful thing it is that God says, hey, let's just spend time together. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't say, I need you to do this, 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 and then we can talk. Once we, once we accomplish all these things, then you will be a good enough person that I will actually spend time with you. He says, no, I love you right where you're at, just the way that you are. 
I created you to have relationship with you. I created you to seek me. And all you've got to do is choose to do that. And so often we get stuck in this mind of just service. And I'm not saying service is bad. It's it's a good thing, but the service should be the result of the relationship, not the other way around. And an amazing thing happens is when that happens, the service isn't work anymore. It's amazing how at rest you can be and even the hardest thing sometimes because you're walking with God. You're not doing it in his strength. You're doing it in his strength. And you're able to rest because your yoke is upon him. You're learning from him. And even as he says there in Matthew, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I marvel at some of these missionaries that are around the world, even as we have a bunch of teams right now all over the place visiting some missionaries in Mexico and Africa and a uh, group in uh, Puerto Rico. And I mean, visiting just awesome stuff that's happening right now. And I look at some of these missionaries and I go, wow, some of these people live in really rough places. How do they do it? And it's not a burden for them at all. They love it. They are stoked to be there because their burden is on Christ, because God has called them there and they're walking with him in these places and they go, man, God's yoke is easy and his burden is light. These things that maybe seem like a big deal aren't a big deal at all because I'm resting in the Lord because we're in this together. We're walking through this together. And as you take a step back now, as you think about walking with God, it's amazing how it changes every step of life. You see, if I'm walking with somebody, when my wife are out walking out next to our house and we're talking together, it changes our walk. It changes our experience. It changes the way that I view that time because it's special and it's important and it's meaningful. It's not just step after step after step. But also when, when tragedy or trials or things show up, if you know that the God of the universe is there with you, it's not nearly as scary. It's not nearly as scary. If I'm walking in the woods there with my wife and we're cruising along and a bear comes out and I happen to be holding my rifle, it's a lot less scary than if I'm there by myself with nothing, right? It changes everything because of who I'm there with and what I'm holding in my hands. God has equipped you and given you tools and abilities to have him on your side with you. So that when life goes difficult directions, if you're walking with God and he's right at your side, that bear, so to speak, comes out of the woods and you're like, yeah, my dad's here. He'll take care of it. I'm not scared. I ain't scared of no bear. I got my dad. You see, you have the God of the universe, powerful, amazing, loving, kind, and he wants to walk with you. He wants to walk through your trials. He wants to walk through your victories. He wants to be there with you every step of the way. And we see throughout the scriptures, God being referred to as a loving father. And I never fully understood it or grasped it until I had kids of my own. I never realized how much joy there could be in one of their victories. A few years ago, I was coaching my son's soccer team and I was so proud of these boys because they just kind of like the, the uh, it's kind of like a Disney movie where, you know, you get all the kids that are like, oh boy, 
these kids are never going to win a game. Like, this is bad. We kind of got all the leftovers, you know, from all the other coaches were, like, drafting the very best kids. And it's, it's like third grade, you know. They're manipulating the system so they can have the team so they can win all year. And uh, I was just like, oh, great, you know, this season's going to be rough. And me and a buddy, we were coaching these boys and, and just working with them really, really hard. And, and uh, it was so great because these boys had such great work ethic. They weren't the most skilled people in the world, but they had such great work ethic and, and they worked really, really hard and we taught them the basics and then they started to be successful. We went into this tournament with all these other teams and no one even saw us coming. And we started beating all these teams that we should have never beat and we got all the way in and, and uh, we got to the championship game and then there was a Hispanic team that came in. They were amazing. And... Uh, I was real proud of second place, though. <laughs> I was, but oh, we had gone from just this team that was like, oh, this is going to be brutal. We're going to get killed to achieving a place now that, that we are successful and the boys are all, you know, they had medals around their necks and they're walking out of there just beaming. And, and I was so proud of them. And the amount of joy that brought me to watch my son and his friends and this team was unbelievable. My wife started making fun of me because of how much I was like jumping around and cheering when we won one of the games. And she's like, I've never seen you jump so high, I don't think. And uh, because there was great joy that came along with that because it's my son and I, and I care about him. And in a way, it's almost even better than when I played back in the day and, and you know, we'd win games and tournaments and championships and it was like, that was super exciting. But now to be able to help someone else do that and to grow and to see them thrive and to be a part of that, man, it's amazing. You parents know. And then when my kids struggle, it, it breaks my heart, but I wanna help them. I wanna walk with them. And we've dealt with things, other kids at school and issues and problems and ugly stuff. And I hate it. And I've had to walk with my kids as they cry and as they, they deal with tragedy and heartache. And you wrap your arm around them. Say, will you walk with me? I'm here. I got you. Let me help you. There's no need to be afraid. We can get through this together. And friends, we forget that there is a God that is right there all along saying the same things to us. I got you. I love you. I will rejoice in victory with you. I will comfort you and walk with you through difficulty so that you can be at rest. So we must have faith in him. We do not have faith in him. We cannot please him. We cannot walk with him. We must seek him, to know him, to spend time with him, to understand more about him. We must follow him, allow him to lead. And when we do these things, we can be at rest and we can rest in him. Let's pray. God, we pray that tonight that we would find ourselves just amazed with who you are. God, that we would be reminded that you are a God that loves us, a God that desires a relationship with us, not just servanthood, but God, you call us your sons and your daughters. We are your family. And we thank you for that. God, we thank you for the grace, the compassion, the mercy, the love that you have shown to each and every one of us. And God, may we desire to know you more, to understand you more. 
and we desire to walk with you. When we ask for your help in, in our weaknesses, it's so easy for us to lose sight of the right direction. It's so easy to seek other things instead of you. So we pray that tonight as we go from this place that we'd find our minds focused on you, our hearts and our lives pointed in the direction that you would want. May we follow you. May we walk with you. And Lord, may this, this service that we find ourselves in, may it be a result of just how much we love you. So God, we thank you again for this night. We pray for everybody that's traveling, Lord, for all of the people that are out on the mission field tonight, and, and uh, Lord, for the group in Mexico, the group in Puerto Rico, the group in Africa. Lord, we pray for all of them. We pray bless their time there. Keep them safe. Bring them home safely. Lord, bless the rest of our week as we head back to work and all the other things going on this week, and we just pray that you would bless it. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.